Recovery Elevator, episode 86. Someone said something to me yesterday about, you know, you should talk to yourself like you were talking to a friend. And it's true. I think we all, you know, tend to beat ourselves up and it's counterproductive. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I took my last drink more than two years ago and three weeks. On today's podcast, we've got Jenny. She's been sober for just over a year and she loves to run. And before we hear what the three most dangerous words an alcoholic can say to themselves, let's hear from our sponsor, Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, so you're doing the no drinking thing, you've been sober for a while, or you think you're doing a pretty good job at controlling your booze intake. You know, you've installed a rule, like you're only drinking Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Well, only three days a week. That's a rule that I placed for myself in 2009. I wrote an X in a calendar indicating that I drank that night. Well, I also came up with another system that allowed me to borrow days from the future. Pretty soon, I had like 14 X's in a row. Shit, I just drank two weeks straight. Anyways, those are just one of the systems. However, if you've got a system that is working out okay for you at the time, or you're experimenting with sobriety, aka not drinking ethanol, well, alcohol is ethanol with a couple substances added to make it palatable so we don't die. This podcast really is not derogatory towards alcohol companies, but really, that's what it is. It's ethanol with a couple things added to it so it doesn't tear apart our insides. All right, so you are cruising along. What I want to try to do here is to show you a warning sign, a warning sign that the instant that I said these three words to myself, pending disaster was imminent. Doom awaited, and usually not long after I muttered these three words to myself. Ready for it? Drum roll. Actually, no drum roll because they're not good words you want to say together are, I got this. You've heard me say many times on this podcast that a relapse happens way before you take that drink. I can expand a little more on that statement and say a relapse happens shortly after you tell yourself, I got this. In the summer of 2014, there were many mornings. Well, let's get real. Almost every morning I woke up and swore off booze for good. After the fogginess, after the hangover wore off right around noon, 1, 2, or 3 p.m., I would say the words, you know what? I think I got this. This really isn't that bad. Unfortunately, that's kind of like saying the word ceasefire in Syria right now. Because shortly after that, I always drank. When I was sober for almost two and a half years, it was right around the two years, three month mark when I remember telling a family member, I think it was my cousin, I was like, you know what? I think I got this. But before I verbally said it to that person, I had told myself the same thing. You know what, Paul? We've been sober for over two years. We got this. 
But looking back, you know who was talking? That was Gary. Gary is my addiction who lies to me in my own voice. Gary, just chilling up there on my shoulder, on the perch, whispered in my ear. He's like, no, no, Paul, you got this, man. We can go ahead and land the aircraft, take down all the radars, pick up the barbed wire you laid around to avoid all the pitfalls of drinking. We got this, Paul. We're totally good. We're basically cured. Well, damn it, Gary, you got me again. And guess what? I drank after over two years of sobriety. Now, I can speak from experience that these are three potent words. And I also know from chatting with others on this topic that once they also said those three words, nothing good happened after that. The whole quitting drinking thing is not like riding a bike. Once you got it done, you're good to go. If I haven't ridden a bike for five years, I still got it. I can pick up that bike, cruise around, maybe do a wheelie, a jump, and a spin out. Not with sobriety. And at age 34, I'm not going to be trying a wheelie on a bike, but you get the point. Okay, so take it from me, recovery elevator. The instant you hear your addiction lying to you in your own voice saying something like, we got this. You know what? I think we got this under control. Hey, Betsy, we can handle this together. You know what, Tim? This isn't that bad after all. Hey, Susie, you just did 30 days with no drinks. Let's go reward yourself with a latte or a martini. So be very cognizant when that internal voice whispers something similar to, I got this. Now let's hear from Jenny. Jenny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Jenny. Let's get right into this. Jenny, when was your last drink? Well, my last drink, uh, my sobriety date is August 25th of 2015. So my last drink would have been the day before that. So August 24th, 2015. Wow. So you've got over a year without drinking. Congratulations. How's it feel? Thank you. It feels great. You know, it's definitely not easy, but yeah, my life is 99% better than it was when I was drinking. So I also want to add that I don't think it was by coincidence, but I can tell you the date that your article was in the Bozeman Daily Chronicle was probably August 23rd because that was a Sunday, I think. And yeah, I had been kind of premeditating the whole stopping drinking thing. And I opened up the paper that day and saw your face and read the article and it really inspired me. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. Jenny, you did all the heavy lifting. All I did was uh, just answer some questions with a reporter called me. That's incredible. Seriously. You read an article and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll stop drinking. Is is that kind of how it went down? Well, not really, but I mean, you know, you're all over this shred the shame thing and it just really got into my head. I was like, you know, it's, it's a problem and a lot of people have this problem. I'm not alone. And yeah, it really just kind of helped me get on the right track and get the wheels in motion. Well, let's back it up a little bit. Before you read the article, what gave you the idea that maybe you might want to quit drinking? Well, as we all know, it's a slippery slope. So yeah, to back way up, I mean, it's, it's always been there. I think the alcoholic tendency has always been there for me. The first time I got drunk, I think I was probably nine or 10 years old. And I'm not talking, you know, have a couple beers, get giggly drunk, like blackout, pukey drunk. And, you know, the tendency has always been there. I don't think I've ever in my life had one drink, you know, when I would start drinking, it was just, I could literally feel something click in my brain and it was game on. Yeah. What's the point of just one drink? Right. Who does that? Yeah. (laughs) The thought just fascinates me. Like I said, I was nine or 10 years old the first time. And then when I was in high school, I was the party girl. And then in college, you know, it just kind of progressed. And there were years that I, years literally that I went without drinking. But I, I don't really know the catalyst for when it really 
turned into a serious problem, but yeah, so I had been just kind of thinking about it for a while and just seeing the elevator going down and I knew I had to stop before I hit the bottom. So I did. Now, would you consider yourself maybe a high bottom drunk? Would it, you know, that's the term where you haven't had a bunch I really of DUIs would. or... Yeah, I really would. I, I never got in legal trouble. I never got in financial trouble because of my drinking. I never lost a job. I never had an affair on my husband. In fact, some people, a lot of people were pretty surprised when I finally came out and said, I have a drinking problem and I think I'm an alcoholic. Um, a lot of people even tried to convince me that I didn't have a problem. You know, they would say things like, oh, my, my dad was an alcoholic and X, Y, Z, you're not an alcoholic. So yeah, I think I was probably what you would call a high bottom drunk. Did you ever try to believe those stories? I'm talking like your unconscious mind. That would be my Gary listening to those stories right. of your friends trying to convince you. And you'd be like, you know what? I think they're right. I don't look anything like that person's dad. Do you believe any of those? Yeah. I, yeah. I think any of us that have the alcoholic brain definitely have those voices, you know, that, you know, still tell me, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, I think the further we get away from it, the more, you know, it's, we have those tendencies to think, oh, it really wasn't that bad, but it was, it was that bad. Now, I've already gotten way ahead of myself for four minutes into this yeah. interview, and I want to hear just a little bit about you, maybe what you do for fun, what you do for a living. Do you have kids? Yeah. Do you have a family? Things like that. Yeah. So I grew up in Helena, Montana, and I currently live in Bozeman, Montana. I've been here for over 25 years now. I went to Montana State here. Go Bobcats. Go Bobcats. Uh, majored in exercise. <laughs> majored in exercise and wellness. I am married to an amazing man. I have four kids, ages 14 to four. And for work, I do permanent cosmetics and I work for a root canal specialist. And then I volunteer and actually started a nonprofit here in Bozeman that helps families that have a child with cancer. And what I do for fun and what I like to do, I love to go to the gym. Anybody that kind of has met me on uh, Cafe RE knows that I like to work out. I love to run. I just did my sixth half marathon. I've gotten into Spartan racing and boot camp spin. You name it. If it involves exercise, I like to do it. Um, I like to golf and we love to camp. That's what my family does all summer. And, you know, just to describe me, I guess I'm your typical or not typical, but type A overachieving, list making kind of organized control freak. Control freak. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the are. <laughs> Admittedly. Yeah. You yes. put me in that category. Yeah. Yeah. Now you had you have four kids, ages four to fourteen. Yep. I imagine yep. that drinking is exhausting in general, but doing that while having four kids, I had one standard poodle when I was drinking, I could barely manage my dog. Tell me about that with four yeah. kids. Well, really, you know, when the drinking really started to escalate and I started going down the elevator, it was kind of the perfect storm. So my husband's a firefighter, and he was working four tens, four ten-hour shifts, and they changed their schedule to where he was working twenty-four-hour shifts. So that really hit me hard. Like you know, being a parent is hard anyway. Being a parent of four is really hard, and then being a you know a single parent three or four days a week was really hard. And so that's you know when I think things really got out of control. You know, the kids had get off the bus, get home at four o'clock, you know, start fighting literally before they even got in the door, they were in the driveway and they would start fighting. And so, you know, five <laughs> o'clock was my magic hour yeah. and drinking just took the edge off. And for me, I was never a mean drunk. I was never a fighting, crying drunk. 
I was just, I felt like when I was drinking, I felt like I was the best mom in the world. The kids would get home, I'd pour myself my vodka and, you know, I'd be cooking and doing laundry and prepping food and, you know, just kind of doing my thing, giving the kids a bath. And I felt like I was just this great mom, but I was really checked out, just emotionally checked out. As we all know, alcoholics are just selfish people. And I mean, that was me to a T. While I felt like I was doing all these things for my kids and my family, the back of my mind, I was really worried about refilling my drink and, you know, not letting it empty. So no one would ever see that I went through another 32 ounce glass of vodka and crystal light or whatever it was I was drinking. And did you ever kind of say, all right, kids, you're fighting in the driveway. Thanks to your actions, I am now going to drink my relaxing potion called vodka. Did you ever do anything like that? (laughs) No, I, I never verbalized that. No. I mean, the kids called it my mommy drink, you know, but no, <laughs> I never, I never said you little rascals, you're making me drink. No, I never said that. But in my mind, I mean, that's how I felt. Absolutely. Yeah. And kind of what I'm getting at is when I realized that it was more me versus the outside environment, that's when the rubber mm-hmm. hit the road for me. Did you ever get to a point when you got sober on August 25th or leading up to that where you're like, wait a second. Maybe it's me. Maybe I can't control this drinking and being control freaks, both you and I, that's a difficult pill to swallow. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, when I when I finally stopped drinking and I didn't say anything to anybody when I quit, I just quit. I didn't even say anything to my husband. And so about two weeks went by before he even noticed. And for me to finally say those words, I have a drinking problem. I'm an alcoholic. It was really the most painful, scary thing I've ever done. Because, yes, I am a control freak, and there was something that I finally admitted I could not control. So it was really scary. and But at the same time, it was really liberating to finally just say the words out loud and have it out there and be like, you know what? I don't have all my shit together, you know? I don't. Here it is. I'm a hot mess, and there you have it. So, yeah, it, it was tough, but it felt really good at the same time. And let's expand a little bit more on that. It felt really good at the same time, very liberating. I know for me, when I put it out there, it was like this massive weight just instantly was removed from my shoulders. It feels good, right? It's, it's liberating. Tell right. me more about that. Yeah, it was just kind of finally that, you know, it was like that dirty little secret I had been carrying around. You know, I had been doing all these things, I think, to convince myself that I didn't have a problem, or if I did have a problem, I had a handle on it. You know, I was volunteering for things. I was going to the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning and doing these insane workouts. Even when I was drinking, I would show up at the gym in the morning, probably admittedly still half drunk. You know, I had four great kids. I had great jobs, great husband, great marriage, and a clean house, great food. You know, so I was convincing myself. Yeah, so when I finally was like, hey, guess what, you guys? The gig is up. It it did. It just felt really good. And it was also surprising how many people. Oh, came here it to comes. I know. And, I know it's coming now. Say it. Uh, it's the mom thing. It's the dirty mom secret. But a lot of moms came to me and said, you know what? I think I have a problem too. Boom. It's this really underculture of moms. You know, everything we do now has alcohol associated with it. We have baby showers and there's wine. We, you know, mommies have these play dates where there's wine and booze involved. And I'm just like, what is this? It's messed up. 
it's completely messed up the fact that we don't talk about it. In fact, the number one public concern that we should be talking about in elections or whatnot is, is alcohol. Really? It's, it's like yeah. everybody has negative health consequences about it. We hear about the heroin addictions, all this stuff. And I'm not underplaying that at all, but alcohol kills more people than all the other drugs combined. And we just don't talk about it. It's, it's ludicrous. It really is. Yeah. And it's just so ingrained into everything, holidays and, you know, everything, football, it's everywhere. And it's, you know, we live in Montana, so I think it's even more so. I mean, that's what you do. That's what you do for fun is you, you go to a keg party or anything you do, alcohol is involved. And, yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, and I feel like I took a step into the real world when I took that weight off my shoulders and kind of came clean about everything because I was yeah. living in a fantasy world. I was trying to drink like the people on TV, trying to drink like my friends. But like you just said, the people you came out of the closet to about your drinking, they eventually told you. So even like even my friends that I thought were normal drinkers, a lot of them have come to me as well. Um, I have a good friend. Yeah. He just reached one year of sobriety. And this is a guy who's like in my close group of friends. And I remember watching him be like, man, why can't I be like him? I mean, everybody struggles with it. Or not everybody, but a lot of people do. Yep. Yeah. And Jenny, talk to me about Run for Recovery. I saw you. It was in May. You're rocking your Run for Recovery shirt. I think yeah, I think I beat you by like 12 minutes on that run. I'm just kidding. You finished before I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was cool to be there, right? It was cool. And yeah, you know, I, I did post a PR for a 10K that day. That was my fastest. 10k I've ever run so just to throw that out there but yeah it was well if we're gonna to throw it out and, we might as well um, get like the, the the time what'd you get oh geez what did I run that day I think it was like a 56 or 57 minutes that's my fastest 10k I've ever done yeah it was it was great to be there just a sense of you know community obviously but yeah just bringing awareness to this issue that you know is such a problem and I I love the combination of you know again Anyone who's followed me on RE knows, you know, workout is my thing, but I can't even put into words like how much working out and exercising has helped me through this process. And I, I know it sounds cheesy, but we all have our thing. But, you know, we talk about being able to get out of our own head. And I know you talk a lot about being in the moment. Working out and running or whatever it is, is the one thing that kind of does that for me. I mean, when you're running and you're dying and you can't catch your breath. And I mean, there, nothing else will put you in the moment than getting your heart rate up like that, because you literally can't think about anything else. And I don't know, it's almost like a spiritual, like meditation thing for me running. So that's what it does for me. We've heard about the runner's high. Would that be what you're getting at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's times when, you know, I've been on longer runs that I literally do kind of have an out of body experience where I mean, I'm just on autopilot. My legs are just going and I work out more problems and get more stuff solved in my head when I'm out on the pavement than any other time. And so, yeah, how did you do it on August 25th, 2015? How'd you do it? What was day one like? Day two, day three? How'd you do it? Well, I, I just did it. I just quit. And I don't think I was physically addicted to alcohol because I didn't have any physical withdrawal symptoms. But yeah, I did just quit and I literally did go moment by moment, minute by minute. It was hard and it sucked. And I binge listened to Recovery Elevator podcasts for the first week. When I ran out of those, I started listening to other things like the bubble hour. After about a week, I got into my crying phase, which is <laughs> pretty unusual for me. I'm not a real emotional person usually, but I definitely went through the beat myself up stage where I just was ashamed of some of my really bad behavior and poor 
parenting choices and, you know, just beating myself up for being such a selfish person and feeling like a really, really checked out parent, you know, just coming out of the fog. Yeah, And it sounds like those are emotions that you're going to have to face one day. And after a week without drinking, you face those emotions. And what did it feel like? It felt horrible. I mean, it's, it's not a fun process. We all know that. But you go through that and then you get to the point where you, it's just not serving a purpose anymore. You can't go back and change the past. It does nothing. And you can't worry about the future because it also does nothing. So again, just living in the moment, feeling those feelings. And sometimes it is just as simple as doing the next right thing and minute by minute. Now, for those that you know are, are, aren't really into running, are there other methods you use to stay in the moment? And I'm asking for myself. Being in the moment, being present is something that I struggle with, and I'm really working on myself. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What are my tools? It is hard. I'm, I, I've tried meditation, and I feel like sometimes we kind of share a similar brain. Meditating is really hard. Like, if I can get one minute where I clear my mind, I mean, that's a, that's a win, So besides that, you know, just reading a lot, educating myself a lot, listening to podcasts, and sometimes just literally forcing myself to sit still. Sitting still is not my strong suit, and sometimes that's really what I need. So yeah, just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and just feeling those those feelings. It's hard, but that's what we need to do sometimes. And sitting still is clashing with silence. And like you said, sometimes you force yourself to just sit still. I've gone to parks. I've gone to co-ops, you know, like cafeterias. I just sit there and a clash with silence. Sometimes being alone with Paul Churchill is not an easy thing. My legs tapping, you know, my fingers moving, I'm, I'm jittery, I'm shaking. But the more I clash with my own silence, the more I'm able to just sit there and be calm, be in the moment. Yeah. And Jenny, talk to me about working out these days without alcohol. It's gotta be a little easier, right? Yeah, it is a little easier. And yeah, I mean, I've had some huge accomplishments in the last year. You know, I've, you know, PR'd a couple races. I did a a race in Ennis that uh, I did a half marathon there and it's the highest elevation marathon in the world. What? How high is that? Well, it started at 10,000 feet. Middle of nowhere in the gravelly range, amazing views, but it was horrible. It was brutal. And we got done and I was driving back down to Ennis and my friend texted me and said, Hey, you have a plaque here. And I'm like, what? You're texting the wrong person. Anyway, I ended up winning first place in my age group. So that was pretty exciting. And um, yeah, just taking it up a notch. You know, I did a Spartan race up in Big Fork, which is not an easy accomplishment. Yeah, I don't know. I've just taken things up a notch. I have a really amazing group of friends that I work out with that lift me up. And most of them don't drink Some of them do, but they're what we would call normies. They drink normally. Um, But just some of the trainers and stuff I work out with are just so supportive and have been so amazing through this process that on my one-year sobriety date, some of them even put together a workout. They were trying to think of something fun to do to celebrate, and they were like, you know what? This is perfect. This is what's helped you get through this. And so anyway, I've just ramped it up a notch, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel a million times better than I did when I was drinking. When I look back now, I don't know how the hell I was getting to the gym at five in the morning. So yeah. Jesus. And if you're listening right now and you're putting the non-drinking thing in the con column, like the pros and cons sheet, 
you can just use yeah. your eraser, pen, cross it out, and put the non-drinking thing about you in the pro column because usually that's a pretty healthy life choice to not drink. And I think that is so cool that your friends who are normal drinkers, they don't understand what it's like after you take that first drink, finding it difficult and near impossible to stop drinking. They decided to make a workout for you, a customized workout. How cool is that? That's got to be awesome. That feel good? Very cool. It felt great. And, you know, it feels great to just have such supportive friends and, you know, people that get it, that, you know, know what's helped me and what makes me click. And yeah, it was very cool. And if there's anybody out there listening who wants to get into running, that was myself three years ago. In sobriety, I have been given the gift to experience that runner's high. I'm going to say this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's your endorphins just firing like crazy. And previously, the endorphins, it would, it would require alcohol to get that same feeling. And I ran, right. I think a 10K, wasn't, uh, it wasn't run to the pub. It was one of those in Bozeman. And uh, it was my very first 10K, and I kind of trained for it before it. Um, and you know, I was at the results table and the sheet printed off and I was like second to the last name at the bottom of that sheet. And then the guy went back to the printer. I'm like, Oh, awesome. There's going to be like a whole nother list of names. And we're both waiting for the second sheet to print out, man. No, there was no second sheet. I got second to last in my age category. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what I like to say about that is you still beat everybody that was sitting at home on the couch. You know, I feel like I need to get a poster with that written on it and just put it on my wall. (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much for making my day better, Jenny. Absolutely. Yeah. But fast forward, I did, uh, I've done a couple 10 Ks. I did a half marathon too. And yeah, guess what? I was not second to last. It was not on the last sheet and I was not, you know, I didn't have a plaque on my name at the finish line, but in sobriety, I've been given the gift of running. It's pretty cool. Actually. It's a lot of fun when you get that runner's high. Yep. Absolutely. It feels good to, uh, treat your body well instead of, instead of beat it up every day. Yeah. So what does a day in the life of Jenny look like in in terms of sobriety? How do you do it still? Oh, geez. Well, I like to get up early in the morning, you know, with four kids. We all need our quiet time. So I, I get up pretty early, sometimes as early as four o'clock. I wouldn't call it a meditation. What and time I've do you go to bed? A, a, Sorry. It's pathetic. About eight o'clock. I'll okay. get to that. That's the end of my day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All um, right. But I do get up early. I, I try to like wake up and think like every day I try to think of something coming up in my day that I'm really looking forward to something coming up in the week that I'm looking forward to and maybe even something in the month. You know, I always try to think positive, something exciting to get me out of bed. And then, you know, if I'm going to work or going to the gym, usually I'll listen to, you know, Monday morning, it's your podcast always. And then, you know, the bubble hour or some other, even if it's not a a recovery or alcoholism related podcast, something inspirational or uplifting. What are some good podcasts that you recommend? Well, you know, I like, oh, what do I like? Besides um, the bubble hour, I've I've listened to the, that sober guy before. That yeah, one Shane Raymer. is okay. Yeah, a little bit of language in there that kind of, and I swear like a sailor, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> takes away from that one a little bit. But, and then just some health and fitness podcasts, you know, different, just things related to exercise and eating well and nutrition. And then, you know, check into Recovery Elevator on Facebook, see what's going on there. And then, you know, hit the gym pretty much every day. You know, I put it on my calendar just like any other appointment and that way I get there. And then some days it's, yeah, as easy as just, you know, again, do the next right thing. And then, you know, the hardest part of my day that I've struggled with is that five o'clock to seven o'clock hour where typically I was pouring vodka, pouring crystallite, 
little more vodka, a little more ice, little, you know. So the meal prep in the kitchen has been a struggle, but it gets easier every day. And then, yeah, hang out with my kids, you know, homework, all that. And then I do go to bed very early, you know, usually about eight o'clock. And that's another coping mechanism, you know, um, when I'm feeling like I want to drink or want to eat. I know a lot of us fight this sugar demon as well. Sometimes that's my best defense is just to go to bed. When I talked about the workout thing, I yeah. realized about a year into my sobriety that I'd kind of downplayed or just shifted gears down with my addictions and replaced the alcohol with working. Do you sometimes feel yeah. that, uh, well, I'm not drinking, I'm going to just attack working out with the same tenacity that I, I did with drinking? Do you feel like that it might be becoming an addiction or it is? Or To me, it seems it's, it's healthy. Um, if it is, it's better than drinking, but what are your thoughts on that? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it definitely, when I first started drinking, you know, I, I never drank during the day. I was always, and I had my five o'clock hour, like we all had our little rules set up. So that time at night that I was talking about when I normally struggle, instead of being home, I was going to the gym at night, which usually I would go in the morning. So when I quit drinking, I was actually doing two a days. And so I'd go in the morning and then go at night. And I was doing some pretty intense, you know, I was running a lot, doing box jumps, a lot of high impact stuff. And I actually ended up getting a stress fracture in the neck of my femur at the Whoa. end of last year. Yeah. And like most of us that aren't very smart sometimes with listening to our bodies, I didn't get it looked at right away, kept working out. Anyway, so that that was a wake up call. Definitely. At that point, I felt like I had swapped one addiction for another. Now I'm a, I'm a little better at toning it down and listening to my body. And yeah, I mean, sometimes is it my go-to if I feel like, yeah, I'm really stressed, I need an outlet? Yeah, that's what I'll do is, you know, go peel off 10 miles. So yeah, it may be just switching another behavior. But again, like you say, it's probably a healthier behavior and just a coping mechanism. But it's definitely better than the vodka and other things. Oh, I totally agree with that. And Jenny, what's on your bucket list still? Oh, geez, my bucket list. Oh, I got a lot. You know, I've really gotten into this marathoning thing. Um, I don't think I'll ever run a full marathon, but I've already signed up for a rock and roll marathon in Phoenix in January. I'm going to do uh, the Spartan Race Racing. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they have a few different distances. And the one I did in Big Fork last year was what they call the sprint, which is the shorter distance, which is brutal. But I signed up to do a super, which is the next distance, which is, I think, about 10 miles. I'm going to do one of those down in Littlefield, Arizona, spring break next year. Other than that, yeah, just, you know, continue to become a better person, keep volunteering with the organization I volunteer with, and yeah, just continue to to find out more about myself and just be a little kinder to myself. Whoa, that's a big one right there. Be kind to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what have you learned about yourself? You just said, you know, learn more about yourself. In a little over a year of sobriety, what have you learned about yourself? Well, like those uh, things I brought up at the beginning of the interview, you know, that I'm type A, I'm overachieving, I'm a people pleaser, you know, I'm a control freak. I mean, I always knew those things. But again, just like saying I have a drinking problem, just like vocalizing those things. And, you know, we need to be nice to ourselves. Uh, someone said something to me yesterday about, you know, you should talk to yourself like you were talking to a friend. And it's true. I think we all, you know, tend to beat ourselves up. And it's counterproductive. I really yeah, like what you just to... said right there, Jenny. I, I yeah. live my life with the motto of don't say anything about somebody else that you wouldn't say to their face. But I haven't heard what yeah. you just said is 
basically don't talk to yourself in a way that you wouldn't say to somebody else's face. It's the same thing. And I like that a lot. And, and so a life hack that I had in one of my podcast episodes that I think is coming out in a couple in this Monday is change statements like I always and I never to like just today. For example, I always lose my car keys to statements that mm-hmm. change that to, you know what, today I made a mistake and I can't find my car keys because my unconscious mind, it picks up on those perpetual statements. Like I always, like I never get picked to be on that team, but just this one time. Yeah, I need to be kinder to myself. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And Jenny, in a year of sobriety, in a year and a month, have you had any cravings? Oh, absolutely. I think I'd be a liar if I said. <laughs> I would have called I you a liar if, if you had said no. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, you know, that I've become much more um, aware of what triggers me. And, you know, when I was drinking and when I quit, I felt like it was stress and kids and life and whatever. Now the times that I really find that I crave it is when I'm chill. When we're camping and I get the lawn chair set up and I'm sitting there looking over Highlight Lake and when I'm relaxed. That's when the cravings hit. I don't understand it, but that's that's really when it hits me the hardest is when I'm in a relaxed situation. And what do you do when the cravings come? How do you get past them? Just find something else to do. Go do something with my kids or, you know, go for a walk. Take the dog for a walk. Go for a run or just sit there and, and feel it and know it's going to pass. Mm, and know it's going to pass. Does it pass in a week, two weeks, 20 minutes? No, it's it's usually pretty quick. I mean, it's usually within a few minutes I think about it, like, okay, why am I wanting to drink? And, you know, just kind of go through the thoughts. And, yeah, it usually passes pretty quick. And maybe it will happen again in another hour, but, you know, you just got to sit through it and, and feel it. So would you agree when I say that cravings have a time span, like a lifespan and a duration of time? What do you mean, as far as individual yeah, and so no. When I when I first got cravings, you know, I I still get them in two in over two years of sobriety. Again, I'd be bullshitting you if I didn't get cravings. But when I first got cravings, is a long time ago. You know, I thought they would never pass. Right? As I was like, well, I guess I have to drink. I have a craving. That's the yeah. only way that's going to satisfy this craving. But it sounds like what you're saying and what I've experienced is these cravings. They have a lifespan. If usually not that long, within two minutes, four minutes, you know, ten minutes, they go away. Have you witnessed that? Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a pretty fleeting thing. And I do have to say also, the further I get from my sobriety date, they are fewer and, you know, further between. So it does happen less often, but it always does kind of kind of give me a, a little start when, you know, when I get them because they will come at the most unexpected times. It's, you know, it's pretty random. And when it hits you, you just, you know, recognize it and just get through it. Yeah. And my Gary, my addiction, he's good. He'll throw these curveball cravings my way when things are good, right? It used to be yeah. when life was, was kicking my butt. But like you just said, I'm in the camp chair, feet are kicked up, got a s'more going. Life is good. And oh, come on, a craving right now? Really? Isn't that strange? It is strange. And I also feel envious and kind of pissed off sometimes. If I go to Costco and I see somebody buying a bottle of wine, you know, for one thing, I'm mad. I'm like, why can't I be that person that can just go buy a bottle of wine, go home, have a glass of wine with dinner? Like, I'm mad that I can't be that person, but I'm not. It's 100% of the time. It's never worked for me. So, And Jenny, I guarantee you, people said that same thing about you when they witnessed you buy those bottles of wine in Costco. Maybe. Yep, so many people possibly. struggle with it. So many people. So many people. Yep. 
know what's cool now with the cravings is a drink is not an option when I'm really going through some struggles, right? It's just, it's not an option, which is the coolest thing. Anxiety is not there. And the option to take a drink has been eliminated because I know it is ingrained in my brain that a drink will make every problem way worse. Right. Absolutely agree. And Jenny, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Jenny, what was your worst memory from drinking? Okay, so my worst memory um, was last year about, I don't know, four or five months before I quit drinking. My husband and I went on our very first trip without kids to Las Vegas, and uh, we were there. He was doing a work trip, but I went along with him. Anyway, the night before I was scheduled to leave, I came home earlier than he did because of his work trip. He went to bed early and I went back down. We were staying in the Monte Carlo and I went back down to go to the gift shop or Uh do something and basically just go drink more. And apparently, I'm not sure, but I'm putting the pieces together. I came back up to the room. We were like on the 23rd floor and had one of those magnetic strike cards and I couldn't get the card to work in the door. And so I sat down on the floor outside of the room and passed out. So my husband came out at, you know, three in the morning, like, where the hell is she? And opened the door and there I was on the floor and it's Las Vegas. Anything could have happened to me. And I have four kids and I'm really ashamed of this story, but you know, it was, it was pretty mortifying and I'm not proud of it. So that was definitely my worst memory. Gotcha. And next question, we've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have like an oh shit moment indicating that you might not be able to control your drinking? Yeah, definitely. There was a few, you know, that kind of panicky feeling when, you know, I could tell there was only a couple of drinks left in the bottom of the bottle of vodka and, you know, wondering, okay, when am I going to go to the liquor store and just thinking about that. And then, you know, having kids and I've heard other moms and Kelly mentioned this, um, you know, overthinking your kids after school activities and, you know, wondering how you were going to make that work because it either disrupted or delayed your drinking for the night. And another one was, you know, my husband's at work 24 hours on these days. And, you know, I have two boys, two girls, and they'd be wrestling or whatever. And I thought, you know, what if somebody like fell off of the bed and broke their arm? How am I going to drive them to the hospital? Because I'm not okay to drive. With four kids and two brothers, you know, I know you have two yeah. boys in there. That's just a matter of when, not if. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I was like, this is not okay. And Jenny, with almost 13 months of sobriety, what's your plan moving forward? Um, just to continue to, you know, volunteer and be of service. You know, the nonprofit that we help out with here in Bozeman, you know, I have a lot of heart for that. And, you know, I would like to get more involved with Recovery Elevator since I live in Bozeman and help you guys out. And then just really staying accountable. I, I know, you know, with AA and, you know, a lot of people have the anonymity, anonymity <laughs> factor. I don't even say the word either. They want. Okay, you know what I'm trying to say. Shred but, you know, people that want to stay anonymous, I absolutely am, you know, 180 degrees away from that. Like, the more accountability I can create, you know, I'll tell perfect strangers, you know, in the grocery store line, I have a drinking problem, and just staying accountable, you know, really keeps me in check. You probably learned that from working out, right? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yep. You know, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you've got to have, you know, a group around you that's going to going to help you stay accountable and lift you up and and get you through the hard times and you need to do the same thing for other people 
And what's your favorite resource in recovery? And, and thank you for mentioning the Cafe IRE and Recovery Elevator podcast. But what are some others that you like? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Cafe IRE. And, you know, I mentioned the Bubble Hour, which is a podcast that is more geared towards females and moms. But they, there's some really amazing Great podcast. um, podcasts. Yep. And then, again, you know, just going to the gym, getting out of my own head and staying in the moment and just hanging out with good people that get it. You know, just having a, a, a great bunch of people and, you know, staying, staying accountable to my family and my husband. You know, when I quit drinking, it opened up the conversation with my kids, you know, to I, I didn't say don't drink, but the genetic component, I just my two older kids, I, I said, I, I'm not saying I don't think you should ever drink, but you have the same genetic makeup and predisposition that I do. And it's a slippery slope. So be careful. We can get you a plaque that says mom of the year on that conversation. Nice job. Oh, I don't know about that, but yeah, yeah. it was a tough conversation. Yeah. I imagine I would say the same thing when, when I have kids, if and when. And then in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? And then follow it up with some of your own advice to somebody who's thinking about quitting drinking. Yeah. So the best advice I've ever received, and I don't even remember where I saw this but or who told me, but it said, you can do anything, you just can't do everything, which is a perfect summation of, of my life, you know, and I think you're probably guilty of some of the same, from what I understand, just all your entrepreneurial adventures, you know. Oh, I, mean, I love that quote. It's so easy to be the yes man, but sometimes you got to be the no man. And then anyone that's thinking about quitting, set yourself up for success. I think a lot of times, you know, we decide we're going to quit drinking, quit smoking and lose weight and get in shape and, you know, all this stuff we're going to do tomorrow. You know, you got to cut yourself some slacks you know, set yourself up for success. Before I finally quit drinking, I premeditated it for a long time. And I, I did some test drives, like a month before we went to a, a Glacier National Park for a trip. And that entire trip for like two weeks, I didn't drink, knowing eventually I wanted to quit for good. But you know, I was kind of getting a test run. And just those days, I woke up with a clear head and this beautiful place. And you know, set yourself up for success. Make sure you have a plan. Love it. And those practices, those test runs, you, you, your unconscious brain, you start developing habits and you start to believe you're like, wait, I think I can do this. That is so awesome. And last, before we depart, Jenny, give listeners your own customizer. You might be an alcoholic if line. Well, you might be an alcoholic if you go to the liquor store and you browse around and look at all the liquor, even though you're a vodka girl, but you kind of browse around and look like you're you're shopping and maybe, you know, you're going to host a dinner party or something, maybe ask the clerk a few questions, knowing full well you're going to end up in the vodka section and you're going to be buying something from the bottom of the shelf. Oh, I love it. I, that's, I, that's, that's textbook right there. I did that. Yeah. I went to a liquor store yeah, three years ago and like, I knew some guy working there. And of course I'm like, oh, all right, well, I'm having this dinner party, like textbook, exactly right. what you said. And they had this, this sale on like Tito's vodka, which I don't know, it's not yeah. that expensive, but it's not the plastic bottle that I'm usually accustomed to. Yeah. I walk out with like a handle of Tito's vodka, like $35. I'm like, come on. Um, you know, but the clerk thinks I'm having a sophisticated, classy dinner party. No, he doesn't. The clerk is like, I've heard this line a million times. Actually, you're right, Jenny. You're right. I, I still <laughs> honestly believe. I'm like, oh, sold him. But you're like, no, he knew exactly what was going on. He's like, sucker. Oh, that's Seriously, so there should be a podcast that uh, liquor store owners and bartenders, you know, just tell their stories. I'm sure they have some stories to tell. 
that's a great idea because actually I know the owner <laughs> of, of that liquor store. He's a great guy. And you know, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I, gosh, that's a great idea. And I think I'm going to do that because you know, I owned a bar um, and I don't think I would ever own a bar again. I know that should be like a clear, obvious statement. What I mean is I don't think I would ever sell alcohol again, knowing that it wrecks a lot of lives out there. You know, kudos to you if you yep. can drink normally, but, and you, you're, you're right. You can spot the people when they come in you're like, okay, that's a normal drinker. That, 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 that's a real dinner party, not a fabrication like Paul Churchill just did. Yep. But there's gotta be people coming in and you're, you're, you're ringing them up at the till and you're telling yourself, man, like I, I probably shouldn't be selling him you know, this plastic bottle of vodka. So, oh man. Anyways, well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for helping me stay sober. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for all you do. And really you've inspired so many and really your article I saw in the paper was kind of a catalyst to get the ball rolling. So I thank you. Thank you. Before we depart, I got a great life hack for you. Take your ball and go home. Yeah. Take your ball and go home. We often hear that phrase in a negative way. Like when your kids come home early and you're like, hey, what are you doing home so early? And they say, well, Spencer took his dodgeball and the game ended. If you apply this in your adult life, taking your ball and going home, that's not a bad thing. If you're out with a group of friends and you don't think you can stick around and be successful in your goals to not drink, take your ball and go home. I think that would just mean your cell phone and go home, but you don't have to put yourself in those precarious situations. If you're at a dinner party and you don't want to drink, take your ball and go home. That doesn't necessarily mean you got to leave the dinner, but it does mean you don't have to drink just to appease the others at the table. Hell, if you go first, I'm serious now, try this. If you're at lunch or a dinner where it's not a given you're celebrating something and everybody is going to drink, if you go first and don't order a drink, the likelihood of the second person not drinking as well is high. Be kind to yourself. Take your ball and just go home. I've been taking my ball and going home for a while now, and let me tell you, it feels great. I no longer hang out with people that I don't like hanging out with while not drinking. The people I do like hanging out with are people that I enjoy without chemical substances. Yeah, so seriously, take your ball and just go home. Take your beach toys, take your boat, take your camper, your RV, your snowmobile, whatever, and just go home. Well, I hope that helps Recovery Elevator because I know my contact with you guys helps me. If you have a suggestion for a podcast episode, let me know. Send me an email at info at recoveryelevator.com. Oh yeah, sober selfies. Congratulate yourself. Send us your sober selfie pictures to info at recoveryelevator.com. Let us know your name and how long you've been sober. And if you find the Recovery Elevator podcast beneficial to your quest to not drink, share your success story. It's going to create accountability. And we read every single one of them. So recovery elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.